The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. All right. I think we're live. To be completely honest, you know, I am. Um, mood for this one tonight. And lately, I've been asked about um, stories from Ducktown. <clears throat> this one is beyond uncomfortable. But you know, I also look at it like this one kind of helped mold me. And I'm um, going back to 1992. And um, I was listening to Spotify today. I'm working on some questions for a very big case. I'm so worn out. Just worn out. And certain songs could just bring you to a different place. And there were two songs that hit me hard today. One was Enter Sandman. And the other was Nothing Else Matters. And they were by Metallica, 1992. And I guess the only way to really tell this story is to attempt to be truthful. And when I say attempt to be truthful, I want to be as real as I can, from what I can remember. And we'll take it from there. I'm Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And this is content for the jail visit, and I need to always put that in first. Maybe that'll break some of the tension. And this one I feel tense about. But it was 1992, and I'm a kid in high school. And the Black Album came out. The Black Album was some of Metallica's finest work. And I went to the music shop at Ocean One, and I bought the Black Album. It was 12 bucks. Big money back then. And I'm playing on my cassette, and kids from the 90s can tell you that we played on our cassettes till it popped. And we'd have a way of taking it back so we wouldn't lose the tape. And the Black Album meant a lot to me. But it's hard to listen to the Black Album today. And as I'm working on this case, I'm always going to have my headphones on, right? My headphones are in, and I'm listening to the Black Album. And I get this nauseous feeling, and this angry feeling. And I don't know why at first. The mind is amazing how it could block stuff out. But somewhere in our subconscious, every story lives. For better and for worse. Our happiest memories are here, and the repressed memories are here. And sometimes they come out to the front. And today, in the middle 
of writing a hundred question cross examination, this Ducktail memory came out. And I, I'll be honest with you, um, tonight I almost canceled the live because I didn't want to talk about it. But then I also wrote it down the best I could. I think I have to talk about it because who am I if I don't be real about stuff, right? So I'm on the bus. New Jersey Transit. And um, a lot of things happen on public transportation. A lot of stories about New Jersey Transit and the Jitney hit hard. And what happened is when you went on the bus... You had to put on this persona, right? So here was the persona. He had a hoodie on, backwards baseball cap. Your earphones in, and you sat in the back of the bus. And you listened to your music, and you looked out the window. One eye is looking out the window, the other eye is looking for trouble because you don't know what's going to happen on this bus sometimes. But it was how you had to get home because the family didn't have a car. Couldn't afford a cab. The bike didn't always work. So it's raining and it felt like the rain was crashing against the bus, right? I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And there's other white kids on the bus. And we know each other. I won't mention his name because I don't know what this day has done to him or for him or against him we don't talk anymore we see each other under people you may know on facebook and when i saw him the other day it kind of made me think about this so we're on that bus four guys get on the bus and if you are an inner city kid, you could taste trouble. It comes at you. You could feel it. You could sense it. And I'm not talking about the trouble where a judge wants to scold you or a prosecutor talks shit about you. I'm talking about the kind of trouble where you know it's life or death. And these four guys get on the bus. And they're looking at me. Look at the other white kid. And they're talking real loud. And it was one of those um, fight or flight moments, if you would. You can sense it. And it was weird because the first track on the Metallica Black Album was Enter Sandman. And to this day, I will listen to Enter Sandman before I do a closing at a trial. Something about that song always gave me energy. But after the energy, there's this drop. And I didn't know why there was such a drop, but I always, like, use it. Like somebody using a shot of steroids. Enter Sandman. But I always know after I listen to the song, I want to go to sleep. Nothing Else Matters is track eight. And it's one of the saddest songs you ever heard. And I, don't, I can't really listen to Nothing Else Matters much anymore. It, it gets to me. 
and it's because of this day. Um, I'm listening to Enter Sandman and The Unforgiven and Wherever I May Roam and all these cool tracks. When I see these four guys, Nothing Else Matters comes on. And it felt like this four-minute song was a lifetime. Because now you're studying the room. In this case, you're studying the bus. And they're looking at you. They're looking at the other kid. And the one guy takes his right hand. And he puts it in his pants. And he kind of, you know, he's starting to pleasure himself, if you would. And the one guy pulls out a knife. And you can sense... Either me, or this other poor kid, or both of us, are going to be in for a world of hurt. And you try to play it off. You try to fake it. And your mind's going a million miles an hour. It's like all these thoughts. You see your life before your eyes. And there's escape routes going through your head. And you know what they want to do to you. And at that moment, you kind of know what they're going to do to you. It's going to go down. And you think a few things to yourself. One, am I ever going to see my animals again? Two... If somehow I make it to my house in Ducktown, um, are they going to come to the house and hurt my family? And I, I don't know. And is it better just to succumb to this and let shit just go down the way it's going to go down? Because I'd rather you hurt me than hurt my loved ones. Can I fight through this? Can I escape? And I got my backpack on my right shoulder. I got my headphones in. And you're trying to pretend you don't notice what's going through their minds. And guys, you could read their minds in this goddamn moment. And I look at the other kid. And I could see he's like, trying not to cry. This is it for us. And I want to tell him, dude, don't show fear right now. You can't. Because if you show fear, it's going to hurt you. And you know, as I thought about that day, and I bring it back to 2023, I think it's tough for me to relate to people who have never been physically brutalized or emotionally brutalized. The people that have never really had that fight or flight moment, the people who have tiptoed through the raindrops, if you would, I just can't relate to them, man. How can anybody who hasn't been through the third layer of hell understand what the third layer of hell is? And I don't know if you can hold it against them, but can you really connect with them? And that's why when people have bad work ethic, it just kind of sickens me. But here we are. Because I know where I came from, which was that bus ride. I know where I'm at, which is Ann Arbor. And there's always that fear I could go back there. 
but here we are and this kid this frail kid he's scared and I walk towards the front of the bus and I'm thinking I need a lifeline right now right what am I gonna do and as I walk towards the front he's sitting there and I elbow him and I'm thinking if I cause a distraction maybe that will save us so I elbow this kid in the back of the head thinking maybe he comes at me it will cause a commotion something will happen and the poor guy doesn't say anything and he's still like trying to fight back the tears and I look at him and I'm like nodding my head like no bro don't don't let them see you cry because if they see you cry and we make it out of this you're going to be a punk the rest of your goddamn life so now it's time to be a fucking man and I walk up to the front of the bus and I could feel them walking behind me and in some ways I feel good about this because now I'm the target at least that poor idiot who I elbowed in the back of the head he's gonna be okay for at least today and I took some solace in that even at 15 years old thinking well at least I helped him and I whispered to the bus driver this guy named Kevin who I knew said hey they're gonna hurt me help me and he looked at me he goes get the fuck off my bus <laughs> okay so I get off the bus and I'm trying to play it cool and they're right behind me and um I throw an elbow to one as they start surrounding me and I kind of kicked one in the balls and I start running and Metallica's blaring in my head and I got my backpack on my shoulder I got the Walkman in my left hand and I am running down Mississippi and down Georgia Avenue and I am feeling this is it and I could feel them on me Metallica's blaring in my ears and I don't know what happens at this point really I remember I never ran so fast in my life I remember jumping over fences and somehow I get home and as I get home I turn around and I don't see them and I'm out of breath and my dog is waiting for me Odie is waiting for me good old Odie may he rest in peace what a great dog and Odie jumps out in front and he's growling and barking like he's trying to protect me but I don't see anybody behind me and I lay on the porch in exhaustion I'm petting my dog and he's like protecting me and I'm worried that they're gonna come to the house and that was it now let me be clear I don't know if that's the entire story I'm not sure what I'm trying to do is share what I remember 
because the brain is amazing. Somewhere in here, the whole tale is there. But it's also not. So as I hear the Metallica Black Album today, I feel strong. I feel powerful. I feel brilliant. And I feel like I'm lying to the world. Because I can envision certain things. The kid I elbowed, I see where he's at today and it's sad. I don't know if he lived his whole life in fear or shit just went wrong. The guys who were going to utilize me believe they're dead. My dog is such a protector, and I think that's one of the reasons I love animals so goddamn much, because I always look to them for peace and salvation. And Odie having no fear, that's something. But when nothing else matters came, comes on, I don't want to listen to it anymore. So when people say you forgot where you came from, I wish. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Two things happened today that really made me reflect on the past. And I think it's important to know that every single day of my life, Ducktown, Atlantic City in the 90s, play this vital role. It just does. For better and for worse. But good friend of mine, Jerry Dowdy, somebody I look up to, Somebody I gave a Facebook-type eulogy to last year when he passed away. Jerry was one of the most brilliant men I ever knew. And he was a bartender without a college degree. But man, was he brilliant. And I think far too often in life, we confuse education for intellect. We shouldn't do that. Some of the brightest people I know never step foot into a college classroom. Hey, Brian Lundy. And some of the most idiotic people I know have master's degrees and JDs and such. And it's weird. And I'm proud I never judge anybody by their resume. Because resumes can be puffed, right? I mean, let's just be real about stuff. But Jerry said this to me once, and it stuck with me, and it's so true today. Me and you, Billy, we give people respect before we meet them. Now, here's the thing about that, which makes you an outlier. They can You can lose the respect for them. But we're not like most people, because most people make you earn respect. We don't make you earn it. We give it to you, but then you could lose it. 
And I look around with a lot of my enemies, and I just don't think many of them ever really had a truly difficult life. I kind of look at Ducktown like a badge of courage right now. Because some of the people I'm thinking of never could have survived a week in Ducktown. They would have been terrified. They would have offed themselves. They would have ran for the hills. They just could not have survived the brutality. And the thing about that place was when you were in it, you didn't necessarily realize it. Learned behavior is a hell of a thing. Two things hit me today. First was a case involving a juvenile. And I always say this about juvenile cases. I want to really go the extra mile on a juvie case, whether I'm prosecuting it or defending it. But there's one goal in mind with the juvenile case, in my opinion. I don't want to see these kids become my clients in five years. I want them to have good lives. I want them to have the college experience and the workplace experience and they're the future, right? And here's this kid in a form of juvenile detention. And I said to them when I was done, is there anything I can do for you? And the kid's eyes lit up. He said, oh my God, you know what I want? No, what's up? I want a 10 piece of chicken nuggets from McDonald's with three um, sour sides, a fries and a milkshake. And this kind of made me reflect. And I said to the kid, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting, you know? And we were poor growing up. I mean, we were really poor, but McDonald's was never out of the equation. You know what I mean? Like, we got McDonald's when Aunt Mary was too sick to cook. Or Mom was working a double shift. But here's this kid, and what their request was, McDonald's. And I'm not thinking right now. I asked how many kids were in the unit. And they tell me how many children in the unit. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll just run to McDonald's and get something for all the kids and bring it back before I go to my next court. And the person running the facility says to me, hey, you can't do that. Because we're in a reward system here. And I respect that because, I mean, there's, there's issues with children in juvenile detention. We don't want to reward them too easily. We want them to be better people. But it's so weird how I didn't think of McDonald's as a reward. And when I thought this is what this kid wants is McDonald's, like, wow. And I thought if it wasn't for Aunt Mary and Mom, how easily I could have been in juvenile detention. I mean, I'm, it could have happened. You were a white kid in the hood. And there's Brutality, and there's Pitney Village, and there's Back Maryland, Virginia Avenue Courts, 
and there is MS-13 affiliations, and there's the Salams, and this gang, and that gang, and in Hamilton, there's the white supremacists, they're looking for people like me to join them, because we're getting our ass kicked, and my family just navigate all this shit, and we were poor, but we were rich in emotional support, and I'm very grateful for that, and when I have a juvie case, when I'm prosecuting a juvenile case, what I want is to make a difference in that kid's life. I want to see that kid do something in the future. Um, when I'm defending a juvenile case, I want to send a message that I want to protect this kid's future. And I think that's something that's lost in prosecutorial work and defense work. What we're trying to do, or what we're supposed to do, is make a difference. And the sad part is, once the juvie becomes an adult, we transition from that making a difference to the wins and losses versus incarceration and freedom. And, and I just see so many young people being wrongfully charged or overly charged. And it's kind of getting to me. It made me think back at Ducktown today. And the second thing that happened, and, and Scott, I, I would not say I'm hostile at all. I think I'm pretty level-headed right now. <sighs> client contacts me, a potential client, and this person has all the attitude in the world. And I guess it could have been a big money client. And they said something that triggered me. And this is my ego coming into play, you know. They said, I'm weighing all my options. I'm impressed by you. I love what Google says about you, but I'm weighing my options. And my reaction to that was, well, let me help you out. You should hire one of those other options. Have a nice day. Now, I'm at a point in life where I could do stuff like that. I'm at a point in life where I don't need that client to come in. I'm at a point in life where I want to pick and choose. I'm at a point in life that Ducktown paved this road. And it felt good rejecting that client. And that kid and the McDonald's, it played this role in me. It had this effect in me all day. Because I could have really said this. I could have said to that person, that big money potential client, well, let me be clear with you. You already saw what I could do. I'm the best. And if you don't make this sale, if you don't retain me, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. That's probably true. But I didn't. My ego took over, and I thought, what's the difference between this child who's longing for McDonald's and this individual who's worth seven or eight figures that thinks they owned you? The child is looking at you for help. And help comes in the form of McDonald's. And the big money person 
It's looking at you like a hired gun. And today, I didn't want to be the hired gun. I just wanted to be. And that kid affected me. And I thought back to Atlantic City so hard today. You know, people say to me, it's pretty unique. You never drank alcohol. And you never did drugs. And it it's like this unique aspect to me where I just never partied like that. I, I didn't. And now I'm at the point where I almost look down upon that stuff. And I don't think drinking or drugs is the worst thing in the world if people do things in moderation. But it's just not me. I don't want my son to see alcohol in the house. Certainly we're going to smoke pot in that house. I mean, Kara wouldn't put up with it. I wouldn't put up with it. And I don't want Max to see that shit. But I look around and... People say, well, you must have been so strong, straight-laced as a child that you never drank or did drugs. It's not why. I'm going to do a revelation right now. I was scared to drink or use drugs. And here's why, guys. In Ducktown... There were so many homeless people, so many lost dreams, and I would see people begging for a dollar to get a sip of alcohol. And my aunt always taught me, we always give the beggars. It's what you do. You don't judge that person who needs the alcohol or the drugs. But I was also terrified of becoming that person. And I figured if I drank, or I used narcotics in any way, we were going to be stuck there forever. So in my mind, whether it was right or wrong, to not drink and not use narcotics was a way of enhancing our way to get to that light at the end of the tunnel. And when I bartended, and I did bartend, I never drank, that became magnified. I would see people make horrible decisions when they were drunk. I still see horrible decisions being made when people are drunk. And let me be clear, narcotics and alcohol, they don't care what your social economic status is. They don't care what you look like. They don't care what your success rate is. They are there for the consumption. And what I saw in poverty has been enhanced as I moved up the socioeconomic ladder, and what I mean is this. In the ghetto, somebody was dying for that 40 ounce. In the suburbs, somebody's dying for that martini. But in both ways, they're craving something. And why are they craving this? Many times they're craving it to escape what's going on around them. And I can't hate them for it. But as a youth, there was a fear that if I indulged in this, even if it would be more popular, we weren't going to make it out. And I guess today, 
hate to admit this, but I think today one of the reasons that I go so hard on every case, one of the reasons that there's so much exhaustion coming in is because I think in the back of my mind, protecting my clients is also protecting me. And when I say protecting me, I'm not going to go back to Ducktown and be that poor white kid in the ghetto. And there's something about coming from violence and poverty where you believe in the back of your mind. And if anybody tells you different, they're full of shit. But you believe in the back of your mind. It's this ever-present thought that you're going to end up back there. Now, I know the data won't support that. I know that it's unlikely. But in the moment, when you're exhausted and you don't want to do any more prep questions, and you're tired of reading police reports, and you're tired of arguing people that never could have walked a mile in your shoes, and you just want to throw in the towel, I think back to walking home on Mississippi Avenue and say, oh shit, I got to keep going. Because now it becomes this mechanism where not only am I going to go back to the hood, but my client is going to end up there. And I feel like they're my responsibility, so now I have to protect them. And that's my mindset on these cases. I don't know. And I thought about Ducktown so much today. I thought about when puppy love becomes a lifetime commitment. And that's a story for another time, but I saw so many children having children, and I thought about Gary Grant Jr. getting killed. I thought about Blanche O'Brien's family dying in a fire. I thought about when I went to high school and you learned there was this caste system. And I'll never forget something that affected me for life that really made me want to do criminal law even though I resisted it for so long there were two kids that stole a car so was sophomore year of high school one of them was a black kid that lived in my neighborhood and one of them was a white kid that lived in Margate and it was the same offense. Same offense. In fact, I would argue that the white kid's offense was slightly greater. The black kid got 12 months in Harbor Fields. And for those of you that don't know what Harbor Fields is, that is Atlantic City's version of juvenile detention. I should say South Jersey's version of juvenile detention. And when this young kid went to harbor fields he was never the same and this is one of my problems with juvenile detention i think sometimes you go in with a bachelor's of crime and you come out with a master's and i saw good things in this detention center today because i'll tell you to stereotype the system in detroit 
I see kids that have been given up on. In Oakland County, I see people throw me large sums of money to fix their kids' problems because they don't want to deal with it. In this place, which I'm not going to mention right now, I actually saw a process of trying to help, and I want to be part of that. But the black kid got a year at Harborfield, and the white kid had to write a 250-word essay on why you don't steal cars. And the difference between these two levels of punishment was the talent of the defense lawyer. And I learned at a young age that the level of your lawyer makes a difference in your level of conviction. I didn't want to do criminal law. And help, I didn't meet Scott Grable at the Chase Building and then at Boji Tower. I probably wouldn't be doing criminal law. I mean, that changed my life, and I'll, I'll give Scott credit for that because he opened the door to me. I mean, yes, he frustrates me, but he's been an amazing role model. He changed my career. My uncle Matt, who recently passed away, said something about criminal law. And, and I'll say, me and Uncle Matt... We're not close. I did pay for the funeral. I did send my cousin there because I it was my aunt's little brother. And it was the right thing to do. But I realized there was not a lot of love for my uncle. Because many lessons he taught were not really helpful lessons. I think he meant well, but we were different people. But when this crim law thing started to take off, I mean, when it started to go flying my uncle said to me what do you think I said I'm not sure how I feel about criminal law but it seems to be what I'm good at and uncle Matt said to me we really can't run from who we are and it made me realize that Ducktown <laughs> bred me to be a good criminal defense lawyer and I also realized I had so many protectors along the way. Aunt Mare, Mom, Miss Scandia. If it wasn't for that trinity of women, I think my life would have been really different. And I thought maybe I would have been that child who wanted chicken nuggets so bad. I don't know. And I'm really grateful to them. But I don't want kids at that crossroads where I was at to go down that bad road. And I think if we prosecute them properly, we can make a difference in their life. And I think if we defend them properly, we can make a difference. But I think we have to try and make a difference, right? The 250-word essay versus one year of juvenile incarceration has never left me. And I think today, it hit me so hard of a request for chicken nuggets. And I felt like today, turning down the money on that one case and putting extra time in on the juveniles case was me basically saying, hey, Margate, go fuck yourself. I'm still from Atlantic City. And that's a lesson from Dogtown.
the jail visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. In this profession, I guess people have agendas. I don't know. And sometimes the cases, they're bigger than the people. And we're in the business of preserving or prosecuting people's freedom. That's what we do. And when people put their hands in the pie for financial or political benefits and such, and careers get threatened and all sorts of weird things happen, It becomes like this cluster of drama. So I want to tell you guys a story about witness research going wrong. And it's actually taking a lot of energy out of me, but I want my enemies to understand. I know they'll tune in, probably not live, because you're probably drunk or high from Saturday night. But um, when you do tune in, look at me. So I'm not going away. We have some cases right now i won't mention names of cases but we have some cases that are pretty well known and things have really evolved in these cases and they've evolved based on a lot of blood sweat and tears of matt mcmanus jen kelly megan smith myself and we have this one witness and the only thing I say about this witness is their profession in life or what their professional life was and I'm going to watch it because I know who's going to watch and who's going to send this over to the ethics board and try to destroy me I, I know what you're going to do so I'm going to be vague enough where you can't do shit to me. But I'm also going to send a message that you'll clearly understand. And it takes talent to do that. Because this is not 2018 or 1996 where I'm just going to tell you to go to hell. I'm going to use my intellectual prowess, which is deeper than yours, and you know that, enemy. But there was a witness who is hiding. And this witness is kind of key. Kind of essential to a lot of things. This witness is somebody who is supposed to be a respected individual. And we were told that this individual cannot be found right now. And we're dancing with that issue. How can we not find this person? And we went to every source we could to find this individual. And we were told, well, we got to adjourn things and kick things out because we can't find this person. So what Matt McManus and I decided to do was try to find on our own where this individual lived. We were told they were out of state. We just didn't believe that. We think that's bullshit. So we took separate cars. 
and we went to where we believed they might be. Now, when you do this journey, right? Because this is nothing that they teach you in law school, and the criminal minds from Colby, like a Norman Fell, would never have the balls to do this. Hope you're watching, Normie. But you don't really expect to find the individual. You just don't. You're thinking, I'm going to make the effort. And I'm going to make the effort so I can sleep at night. I'm going to go above and beyond for the client. Because that's what the client deserves. And while the rules of professional responsibility tell us we have to be diligent for our client. And competent. They don't explain how that's always accomplished. Because guys, sometimes one and one does not equal two. Sometimes one and one equals 11. And it's not as simple as just putting those one and ones together. You have to figure out the process to get to the 11. And I will tell you, for the people that have a problem with me, to the quote unquote litigators who will try to set me up, we're going to win this case or die trying just so you know because this case is bigger than anything you've seen this is not about money this is not about google hits and you're goddamn right this is personal because the powers that be have built political equity on the backs of these cases the powers that be have convinced people to lie for financial security. And when you're lying about somebody's life, when somebody could end up behind bars and suicidal based on a goddamn lie, what are we doing? And this is my problem with politics. I do not know if I'm going to run for attorney general. And if the Republicans want me to run for Attorney General, and I so choose, I do know what the Democratic Party is going to try to find on me. And at this point, I'm kind of welcoming it. But I'm also torn. Because what happened this week, and we're going to finish it up, to explain what happened with this witness, tells me that there's more at play than just a criminal complaint. There's more at play than depositions and interrogatories. The shit got real. So as Matt is in one vehicle and I am in the other, we don't find anyone. And we drive away. And as we are driving away, we see our witness. And we're like, holy shit, there they are. And we try to take out our phones to film this individual. But we're driving too fast, so we circle around. And my goal in my head is to quite simple, simply jump out of the car, show them my ID, they know who I am anyway. I am Bill Amadeo, P76194. Here is my bar card. I have some questions for you. And we circle back around. 
and Matt is ahead of me, and I am behind. And this is one of those moments, guys, where your life's going to flash before your eyes. Matt's ahead. I'm on the phone with him. And I'm saying, film this person. I'm going to film from behind. And as we get closer to this person, they are on their phone. And they have like a hoodie on. And they reach into their hoodie as if they're going for a gun. And I'm on the phone with Matt and I'm saying, speed ahead, I'm peeling off. Speed ahead, I'm peeling off. At that moment, we knew there was a chance we were going to get shot and killed. Because this person is going through such great lengths to hide from the court system. Because they got the keys to the castle. And it's the castle that's freedom to our clients. And I'm sure this individual is scared. Because the shit they've done for so long is coming back now. And as we're thinking we're going to get shot in this quest to be diligent and competent lawyers, your life flashes before your eyes. And when it flashes before your eyes, you start thinking of everything. And when I say everything, you see your child. You see your wife. You see your loved ones. You see the ghetto. You see the suburbs. You see law school, high school, college. You see the horrors of Ducktown and the joy of the suburbs. And this is all happening instantaneously, but it's in slow motion. And as you're peeling off this dirt road. And I don't know if the individual really wanted us dead. I do know they didn't want to be found. And there's something powerful about not wanting to be found. But you know, guys, when you mess with someone's life, when you mess with a young kid's life, to advance your agenda politically, financially, and we forget about the truth. Shit's deep. And I will tell you this. To the individual who appeared, and I say appeared because we don't know for sure, to be reaching for a weapon to not discuss this case with them. I want you to be very clear when you look at me. There is nothing you can do that is going to scare us off this trail. We may drive away when you have a gun on you, but the moment of truth's going to come when we're both going to be unarmed. And when we're both unarmed, and you're on that witness stand, <clears throat> and you guys all start pointing fingers at each other, that's the moment of truth, guys. 
and then I won't have any life left in me. We are going to win this case or die trying. That much I guarantee. Threats are not going to work. The most dangerous part of dealing with somebody who came from violence and poverty, the most dangerous part about dealing with someone who came from nothing is that they came from nothing. So some energy was taken out this week. I'll be real about that. But as you take a deep breath and you look around the playing field, if it's possible we're more invested now than we were before this pathetic individual appeared to be reaching for a gun. We are not the normal firm. And if you want normalcy, if you want the lawyer who works nine to five, if you want the lawyer who accepts discovery from the prosecutor without asking more thought-provoking questions, you have many good options. But we take pride in not being that guy or girl. And while it's an exhausting week, I want you to know something, and you know who I'm talking to. Clock's ticking. And what you think you got on me? Shit. What we got on you? May not destroy your life the way you tried to destroy these other people's lives. But it's a rainstorm you cannot handle. You wouldn't have made it 10 minutes in my old neighborhood. 10 minutes every day I'm still from that neighborhood. Think about it. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.